the question then is not, what do I make up from nothing, but what do I find? What can I find that I have knowledge or experience or information about? Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, we're going to talk about a topic that I know that you know a lot about and I know very little about other than what I've learned from you. So I think this might be interesting to talk about the five canons of rhetoric. Now, (laughs) when I think of canon, I think cannonball. I think big gun. Exactly. Or like the 1812 overture where they play the cannons as a part of that. My grandson's favorite. He just loves listening to that, waiting for the big booms. We were talking about this the other day. We had some dinner guests over and we were wondering if they ever shoot cannons for real now anyplace when they play that live. Well, I would hope so, but not with any... (laughs) Actual ammunition. Cannonballs, that would be dangerous. That would be. But no, that is the 3N cannon. Okay. C-A-N-N-O-N. Okay, got it. That means big gun. Big gun. All right, You find on, you know, warships. Okay. Old warships. Mm -hmm. Cannon. It's also what you do when you jump into a swimming pool, which you did a lot of this summer. A cannonball. Correct. That's true. No, I don't. My, My grandchildren... (laughs) <laughs> they do cannonballs. I do an elegant artistic dive. Oh, I see. Yes, little splash. Yeah. Versus big splash for the boys. They right. need their cannonballs. Yeah. Yes. But uh the canons of rhetoric, mm-hmm. that word is spelled with only two n's, c a n o n. So, I don't think there's any connection between these two words. Linguistically I, maybe or... somebody who knows more than I do about that might be able to to point out if there is. Right. But as far as I know, that word canon means collection mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. or maybe the division of things. I think of the Sherlock Holmes stories, right? The ones written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And there are clubs, I've heard this recently, there are clubs of people who take those stories and they make them into, they actually happened. For example, a certain mother was on a train and they figured out where the train actually was in England on this time when someone died, right? But that wasn't canon because it wasn't in the original story. Oh, so they're writing new Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes stories. Right, not... Yeah, so there's the original collection. And and outside that original connection collection is not canon. Not canon. So well, that's that's the two N canon. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Two N C A N O N. Got it. Okay. As opposed to the three N big canon. guns. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we we often hear that term, the canon of Western literature. Okay. Or the canon of scripture. Mm-hmm. Again, the approved books of the Bible, and then there's 
books that are peripheral, uh, apocryphal, not included. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're talking about rhetoric, we're talking about the five elements, things, aspects, um, fields, tasks. All, okay. all of those would apply okay. to study rhetoric. So five. Before you name all five, we have another definition that we need to explore a little bit. We talked about canon. We didn't talk about rhetoric. Rhetoric. That's what politicians say that people don't like. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it does kind of have a bad rep Mm -hmm. in modern usage. If you hear it on somebody's commentary or blog or read it or hear it on the news, it's usually, well, that's just rhetoric. Mm -hmm. That's just someone trying to, you know, convince us of something that we shouldn't believe. But uh, it is, of course, one of the seven liberal arts, the third of the trivium. So there's grammar, logic. Rhetoric, okay. that's the trivium, the, the three ways, the meaning of three ways. And then the quadrivium is the other four, which is arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. Okay. And that's the quadrivium. And then with all three plus four, you get seven, seven. traditional mm-hmm. liberal arts. <laughs> okay. Uh, and those go way, way back, you know, more than 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So looking at rhetoric, people used to study this seriously as they would study grammar and as they would study logic. And uh, so it is very simply the art of persuasion. And there was an interesting debate actually among early Christians. Should Christians study rhetoric? And the argument was similar similar to the guns don't kill people, people kill people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So should we ban guns entirely, Mm -hmm. Uh, same idea. Rhetoric can do harm. Mm -hmm. It is possible to use rhetoric and do evil. So should Christians study rhetoric? Mm -hmm. Which is a a valid question, and they debated for a while and came out on the side of essentially, yes, it it in itself is not evil. It's the people who use it wrongly. Therefore, Christians of all people Mm -hmm. should study rhetoric so that we can use the tool, the art, to do good. And, of course, you know, that applies in a very general way today. Great. Okay. So we've got canon defined, not big guns. We've got rhetoric defined, not evil things that politicians do. (laughs) (laughs) So what are the five canons of rhetoric? Well, the five things you would study to improve your skill Mm -hmm. in the liberal art of rhetoric are invention, arrangement, elocution, memory, and delivery. Okay. So that's invention, arrangement, elocution, memory, and delivery. Those five things. And is there a particular order that you study them when you know them? Well, it's it's a little bit, you know, if you compare it to music, mm-hmm. yes, there's things you learn first, but there's also, you also continue to practice everything. I see. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, though the order there is based pretty much on the process. So let's say you want to write a speech. Okay. You want to give a speech. You mm-hmm. want to go out and persuade someone of something. Okay. Or persuade a whole lot of people mm-hmm. of something. The first thing you do is figure out what to say. Right. So that's invention. Okay. Now you likely have something in mind. Uh, that you want 
to speak on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I usually do. Mm -hmm. But students often discover that, oh, no, my mom signed me up for a speech class and I have to give a speech. What should I talk about? Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like the blank page mm -hmm. of, you know, write an essay about whatever. Right. Uh, so the word invention is, of course, uh, derived from the Latin invenio, mm -hmm. meaning to find or discover. And I know this so well, Andrew, because in all of the Structure and Style for Students classes, when you get to Unit 7, which is inventive writing, you explain this to the students. Right. And it's comforting because when you think of, well, I have to make up something. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody makes up something from nothing. We need ingredients. We need pieces. We need parts. Mm -hmm. So the question then is not, what do I make up from nothing, but what do I find? What can I find that I have knowledge or experience or information about? And of course, you know, as students grow older, their interests expand. Mm -hmm. They generally read more and have more activities that connect them with things that they do care about, mm -hmm. that they're interested in. But that process of invention is really solving the problem of what to write. Right, exactly. Then, of course, the next step is arrangement. Okay. So if you figured out kind of what to say, now you want to have a strategic sequencing. You want to have an ordering of those ideas. So arrangement is basically what order mm -hmm. to present those ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are strategic ways to do this. Uh, I think all of us have heard speakers who are very organized and there's a good logical flow from one point to the next and smooth transitions. Mm -hmm. And by the end, you're just like, wow. Mm -hmm. And then we've also heard speakers who perhaps haven't taken the time to do that mm -hmm. and they bounce around and it's a little bit disorganized. And at the end, you're kind of like, well, what was that all about? So the effectiveness of a presentation can be very strongly affected by the proper sequencing. Right. And I think, I can't help but think, and, you know, to all you listeners who know IEW well, you know Andrew's Unit 8 persuasive essay model. And that, Andrew, is very strategic in how you present the ideas in the, in a, I won't say correct order, but a strategic order to be able to persuade your reader to your thinking. Right. And that isn't something that I invented. It isn't mm -hmm. something that Webster came up with. Mm -hmm. You can go all the way back to, you know, the people who studied and taught rhetoric. Okay, great. 2,000 or more years ago, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they basically worked out the principles of that model. I see. Okay. It's so, a great model. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've had kids uh, go into speech competition, mm -hmm. do a persuasive speech, do really well, win. Mm -hmm. one, one of my students won the nationals. Mm -hmm. And then he just said, well, I just used your unit eight persuasive essay model. Exactly, so, yep. Mm -hmm. But um, so there's arrangement. Mm -hmm. Then once you have kind of an outline, you know the sequence of how you want to present the information that you have collected up, now there's elocution. Mm -hmm. This also derived from the Latin locor, which is a verb meaning to speak. So the question then is how to say what you want to say. Okay. And within that, you know, we have choices. We, we choose vocabulary. We mm -hmm. decide what sentence structures to use. We apply some of the 
literary devices mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we have available that we know of. And, and when you get to that point, you're also wanting to be sure to follow one of the first rules of rhetoric, which is know your audience. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Right. I speak to different groups of people, pretty much two. I talk or write for homeschool moms, and occasionally I talk or write for school teachers. And you can imagine that there's a vocabulary that might change. There are examples that I might use for one group but not the other. Uh, There's perhaps even uh, subtle elements of humor or a tone that would be different. Uh, So we we want to understand our audience as well as we can, then we can adjust our elocution for that purpose. So as we're, as I'm, you know, just making some notes about elocution, you talked about vocabulary, sentence structure, decorations. You said literary devices, but I know that literary devices and decorations can be synonymous. We use that term decorations and then also triples. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those are a few of the many uh, figures of speech right. that could be learned and studied and taught. And so I always say, you know, when I teach the teaching, writing, instruction style, this is a starter set. Mm-hmm. Yes. Know, get going with these six. Mm-hmm. And then if that's going well, you can add to this. Right. Any number of dozens of right. possible things. Yeah. And you add, of course, several more in the high school essay intensive. Yes. 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 But now elocution, isn't that... Speaking. You said speaking. Well, it's how to say. Okay, how to say. How to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're going to write your speech, Mm -hmm. very likely, or you're going to practice it from an outline enough that you essentially know how you're going to say what you're going to say. But most students, especially if they go into competition, will write the speech, and then, of course, the next canon is memory. Oh, okay. So they have to memorize I see. their speech. Now, memory has kind of two aspects to it. One is a student of rhetoric would wisely memorize things that other people wrote. Okay, sure. And, of course, this was done, you know, all through the ancient medieval and even, you know, the modern period. Uh, you would memorize poetry. Mm-hmm. You would memorize the epics. You would memorize other people's great speeches. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, then you furnish your mind with a lot of what you're trying to do, um, not just vocabulary, not just sentence patterns and variety, not just schemes and tropes, but even ideas. So part of memory, then, is furnishing the mind. The other part of memory is the technical side. So how do you memorize a 10-minute speech? Yeah, good question. If that's your goal. (laughs) Now, most modern politicians don't bother with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, They read from teleprompters. A lot of times you go to a conference or something and someone pulls out their speech and kind of reads it to you. But it's harder to connect with the audience when you are dependent on Mm -hmm. the script. Mm -hmm. It also sounds like you're reading the script. Kind of does, doesn't it? Yes. And it doesn't tend to go over as well as someone who has memorized and practiced that enough to not need 
to depend on the paper, mm-hmm. but can really connect with you in the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, when students go into competition with uh, one of the speech and debate leagues, you know, there's actually a um, a ranking and a penalty for using a script. Oh, so all the students who compete in speech and debate memorize their speech. Well, how do you go about doing that? Mm-hmm. And there are techniques that can be learned to help you memorize anything. Uh, so that's memory. So the two divisions, furnishing the mind and then how to do it. All right. So after you have arranged your speech, you now have inserted interesting or memorable words, and then you've committed it to memory, and then you... Practice delivery. Delivery. Okay, right. So delivery is all those things you would learn in a public speaking class. Oh, okay. So voice projection, Mm -hmm. eye contact, appropriate use of gestures, other body movement as possible. Probably also stopping certain body movements, if possible, like, you know, shaky legs, (laughs) trembling hands because you're doing a speech in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. So those, I mean, most adults have at one point got at least to the edge of a public speaking class, if Mm -hmm. not having done a whole semester somewhere along the line. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing you're, you're practicing. And there are do's and don'ts with delivery. Although today, in the world, fewer people give speeches and more people write stuff. Okay. So I would say for our modern students, Mm -hmm. yes, that public speaking practice is very valuable, but most ideas are now promulgated on screens. Correct. Yep. And that involves design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the ancient world, it wasn't very practical to write something and then copy it a thousand times and give it to a thousand different people. Uh, that would have been very expensive, very time-consuming. So you'd write it once, come around yet. memorize it, and mm-hmm. then go give it to mm-hmm. 10 people here and 50 people there and 100 people there, and pretty soon, you know, a thousand people heard your ideas. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, we don't do that. Mm-mm. Although it's interesting how podcasts <laughs> ah. and webinars mm-hmm. and and so we've made almost this interesting shift from you know the verbal to the written mm-hmm. and now back to the verbal and we have had many requests for pe- from people who want our podcasts transcribed so they can read it and we're not at that point that we're prepared to do that but i just think it's interesting this cycle it keeps going around and around well and there are some people who would prefer to listen or watch a video Mm -hmm. and other people who would prefer to read it in in terms of how easily can they attend to the information, how quickly can they get through the information. Mm -hmm. But I would suggest for all the young people, in addition to public speaking per se, delivery could include the study of design. Oh, okay. Because just basic page layout, how to do something and make it look balanced and have enough white space and understanding, you know, layout, fonts, use of art. You know, there's, there's people who are really good at that. 
And you can always see, you can look at two things that have been designed and know, you know, one is very effective. It draws your eye. It draws you in. The other is just not. Mm -hmm. And uh, in our world today, people make very quick decisions as to whether they want to read anything that comes in front of their eyes. So uh, I would say, you know, for our modern study of rhetoric, both public speaking and design mm-hmm. are part of that delivery idea. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, canons of rhetoric. There are five of them. You kind of gave us a broad brush, 30,000 foot view. Can we dive a little deeper into each one of these? Can we talk about invention a little bit more? Sure. You know, that is the problem of what to say. And sometimes it's not much of a problem. You have something you really want to say. And other times it is a bit of a problem because you're not sure. Mm -hmm. But when you are creating a a presentation of some sort, you work from kind of the, the huge big idea into something you know, that is then manageable mm-hmm. given the time and space that you have. So you might say, well, what what do you care about? Mm-hmm. That's a good place to start. Sometimes it's assigned. You must speak about, you know, a trip you took. Mm-hmm. You must speak about an issue that matters to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people are like, well, I don't really care about anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, other people are passionate. For example, I have an extremely strong opinion about garlic and peppers. I knew you were going to go down this road, and I'm really grateful because that's pretty innocuous. Good. Well, yeah, I mean, you want to stay away from things that appear to be political. Yeah, antitrust laws, etc. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, so I, I might say I would just love to convince people of the value of being sure they get enough garlic and capsaicin in their daily intake of Nutrients. Okay. Okay. So that that would be kind of a large thing that interests me. I believe in it, mm-hmm. and so that makes it better. Mm-hmm. So then you would look essentially at okay, what are some divisions of that? And and this is where our first thinking skill of division comes in. Now I teach this in Unit Seven with the kids. And say, okay, you're going to write about Disneyland. Well, what are some things about aspects of topics pertaining to Disneyland? Mm -hmm. The word topic is interesting. It's from the Greek topoi, meaning place. Okay. So within the big subject, Mm -hmm. what are some of the places inside that or the divisions? Okay. So I think about garlic, right? And, you know, I would think about how it you know, enlivens the food. Mm -hmm. So the use of garlic to improve the quality of life because your food will taste so much better. Right. And then I might think about the benefits of garlic during COVID. Yes. If you eat enough, social distancing is no problem. (laughs) Right. People will naturally stay away from Mm -hmm. you and you will be safer. Mm -hmm. And then... You know, I would also think, well, what about the tremendous health benefits? Mm -hmm. Now, some of those ideas that I have may be just coming from my experience. Right. And so the first one. Yes. You know, talking about cooking with garlic and flavor enhancement and which recipes 
you know, benefit from the garlic and why you should always double or triple the garlic <laughs> in a recipe if you mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. So I'm drawing there maybe from my my own mind, my my memory, my imagination, if you will. If I go over into the whole idea of health benefits, now that's an area I probably want to research. So I want to look into uh, who has done some actual research. So what are the chemical compounds? What's the effect on the immune system? Mm-hmm. So the invention process is kind of going to be a, a combination of what do I know, what do I think, what can I imagine, and where can I get some facts to support that? Right. So that, that kind of meshing together. And then I'm going to basically do a, a brain dump. You mm-hmm. know, I look at my maybe three or four topics mm-hmm. and just put down as much stuff as I can find or think of in no particular order. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of times that is really helpful for a student because they start to find, oh, well, there's more about that idea. And there's more connected to that, and there's more connected to that. And they kind of follow the little rabbit trails. Now, if you uh, get too much information, that's okay. Right. Uh, because you're going to plan your speech, and that's where we get to arrangement. Mm-hmm. That's where your length dictates structure and so forth. Right. If there's something that's a bit on the controversial side, garlic is not, of course. <laughs> some people are allergic to garlic. Some people don't like garlic. Some people want to cheat and use granulated garlic rather than whole cloves of garlic. I mean, that could be somewhat controversial. Well, okay, so we could we could we could add to our topics mm-hmm. objections. Okay, right. That people may have. Right. And those may be one or more topics. We could mm-hmm. have one topic of general objections and just list a few, mm-hmm. or we could have of several mm-hmm. different ones. So you talked, just before you go on to your next point, you talked a little bit about making lists. How how do you get those ideas out to be able to make these lists? Well, um, some people are just more facile, and they just write stuff that comes to them. Other people have to search around a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're finding. Mm-hmm. You're, you're looking for to find. So that would be having the right questions. Questions, yep. Yeah, and so... You look at the categories of questions, you know, basic who, what, where, why, when, how. Uh, You can look at sensory questions Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with, you know, what does it look like, smell like, taste like, sound like. Garlic really doesn't sound like (laughs) The chopping of garlic is very satisfying. The sizzling of garlic in the pan. Um, So some questions may be just not useful at all. Others may be very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the critical questions, if you will, um, what's the value? What's the significance? What are the impacts? Um, what's the best? The worst? Uh, so you know those questions. One of the big questions you can use is what are the objections to something? Oh, okay, mm-hmm. and that's where we get into kind of the pro con, mm-hmm. right? So if we were discussing something that has a, a range of opinion, mm-hmm. gun control or mm-hmm. something, then we would get deep into, mm-hmm. you know, pros and cons and then maybe other useful or interesting facts. So you mm-hmm. could kind of list those things as well. And then you would choose. Now, that's useful because if you get into your arrangement, mm-hmm. you would want to use that strategy of being able to 
acknowledge an opposing view. Well, and you know what, Andrew? We are about to launch into arrangement. I can just tell what our timekeeper has told us. We are out of time. So can we pick up next week with arrangement? Is that too cruel? I'll see you then. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.